It's difficult to form children in God's truth and his holy virtues when you're battling outside influences that seep in from the culture. Today, we're talking with Catholic author T.M. Gowett about the power of the right books and the right friends. Stay with us. Welcome to Homeschooling Saints, the podcast that helps you create the homeschool you love for the people you love. Our host is Lisa Maladnik, a Catholic life coach, TV host, best-selling author, and an instructor at Homeschool Connections. Hi, welcome. I'm Lisa Maladnik, your host, and today we're talking with T.M. Gowett. Ty is a wife, homeschool mom, fiction novelist for teens and young adults, and speaker. She was born in Africa, brought up in London, and is now living in New England, where she raises goats with her husband and four children. She's a member of the Catholic Writers Guild and CatholicTeenBooks.com. A former contributor for Project Inspired, Gowett has been featured in the Diocese of Manchester, New Hampshire's publication, The Parable Magazine, as well as Today's Catholic Teacher. Gowett's novel, Freeing Tanner Rose, has been recommended for Virtue Works Media's Totally Feminine Genius Generations Book Club, and her recently published pro-life novel, For Eden's Sake, was endorsed by evangelist Dr. Alveda King. Ty is also the author of The Destiny of Sunshine Ranch and the Faith and Kung Fu series. She's a contributor in the Catholic teen books anthologies, Secrets, Visible and Invisible, and Gifts, Visible and Invisible, with her stories, Sister Francesca and Just Jesus. She is currently working on completing her sixth novel, which is the fourth book in her Faith and Kung Fu series. And you can find Ty, a.k.a. T.M. Gowett, at www.tmgaouette.com, and her website will be on our show notes page as well, so you'll find her very easily. Welcome to the program, Ty. Hi, Lisa. Nice to see you again. Hey, nice to see you too. And I just want to say for everybody, Ty has been very forbearing because I lost our first recording of this conversation. And so she is so gracious and so generous to come back again. And uh, we're talking today about the importance of good books and good friends. But start us off by talking about why, why are stories so important to us? Well, that's a really great question. If we go back to scripture, we look at Jesus and how he would share his truth and he would use parables and parables are basically stories. In my uh, or in our Catholic teen books, uh, anthology gifts, I mean, um, secrets, visible and invisible, we had Mark Hart who from Life Teen International. And he had said um, the fact that Jesus used parables as his teaching tools tells us a lot. It's a way that people can understand the depth of God's teaching in a simple way. And um, that's why I feel that fiction, uh, fiction, fictional stories are very valuable and uh, can really um, help attune through, through basic struggles. Nothing more fundamental, I feel like, between mothers and children than, than the cry from the heart, tell me a story, right? Kids love stories. We all do. We, we can't wait to hear an interesting story. And there are just some great ones out there. They're just a treasure trove. And most homeschoolers are aware of this and love them. But they don't realize that the availability of different kinds of stories uh, are, are becoming more and more available. Um, what would you say is the conflict, though, and looking at more contemporary uh, fiction for teens, let's say, now than than rather than just looking for classical literature for our kids. Can we make that balance? And what's the clash with parents? 
Well, I think that there definitely is a there is a way that we can incorporate all kinds of Catholic fiction, especially going back to the classics. I think that every child needs to, um, you know, it could be experienced. It's experienced the classics of Tolkien. You know, that, I mean, there are ways that the stories were written back in those days that just have to be reread again and again. It really strengthens our children. I feel that it really shapes them, not in just um, uh, the the stories of those times, but the way that you know authors wrote back in those days. But I also think that there's a lot of room for contemporary writers or writers of you know modern modern writers, such as the writers like myself or other authors at Catholic Teen Books, because I think that even though there are very similar struggles from you know the time of Tolkien to this day, we are also experiencing a lot a lot of modern day um, concerns and, and um, situations that teens are dealing with that weren't dealt with back in the day. You know, suicides, bullying, modesty, just, just sub subjects that the teens of today um, are dealing with that I feel that, that our, our, our books do a better job at, you know, helping them through. When it comes to a situation like bullying, um, oftentimes it's hard because homeschooling parents keep their, a lot of times will keep their kids home and teach them at home because of situations like bullying or maybe um, uh, instilling their faith or Christian values. And uh, there are situations that can be told through a story so that a child doesn't have to actually deal with a stressful experience, doesn't have to be... Um, tainted by a situation that will oftentimes affect them for their, you know, in their future in sometimes negative ways. And that can be told in a story so that um, a parent can help a child deal with it or a child can uh, discuss it through a story without being emotionally affected in, in, in a sense. What I think I hear you saying is that rather than just have a greenhouse effect of keeping our seedlings safe from the storms until they're strong enough to weather them, there's a way to introduce a conversation through literature that is written with them in mind, literature that's written with our values and our shared faith that can present situations that will be challenging for them in the future that they're likely to encounter around them, if not in their own personal experience. Yes, exactly. You know, you have uh, obviously parents who want to prepare their children. They want them to be ready for the world. They want them to be able to deal with hard struggles and situations that um, that, they're, that they're going to be surrounded by. Uh, eat drugs. You know, I mean, we live in a horrible situation where there is so much temptation, so much pulling at a, at a teenager who, as a t living a teenage, you know, their, their teenage years is such a difficult emotional roller coaster as it is, right? Because they're going through this change from being a child to an adult. Their body is changing, their emotions are changing, they're dealing with these different feelings. And oftentimes they're at the point where they're breaking from their parents, right? It's that point where they break away from their parents and they slowly start to cling to friendships and, and the people around them. And so it's a very good, difficult uh, time in their life uh, that emotionally they're, they're, they're just dealing with a lot and they're very easily influenced and media has a lot of negative influences these days. You know, we have a lot of negative books, a lot of negative shows, a lot of negative movies out there and teens are sucking the stuff in. They're influenced by it and it can be extremely damaging, especially when they, um, they see this stuff and they think, well, here's something that I can relate to. Here's something that I'm going through. And when you're looking at something 
that has a negative outcome, uh, a negative character, possibly a negative uh, plot line that leads them in, in the wrong direction, they're going to cling to that because that's what they can relate to. That's what they can, you know, it's, it's something that understands what they're going through. So it, in, in essence, they really need something like positive reinforcement, positive media that can say, okay, I understand what you're going through. I get this. I really do. But there's a better way to deal with it. You know, oftentimes you'll have books out there that will lead a child to suicide. You know, you've got these horrible things and shows like that, that, that almost glamorize things like suicide or glamorize things like immodesty or glamorize sexuality and so on and so forth. And there are so many of these negative influences and our children just really need more positive outlooks. They need, they need something definitely that they can, that, that understands them, but that shows them a positive direction. That makes sense. Yeah, I'm going to throw you a little bit of a curveball, Ty, because as I'm listening to you, and I, we got to talk to you before, you know, earlier last year, at the beginning of the school year, about homesteading, and we had so much fun. And I know that you're a deep thinker. I know that you do things for reasons that are really well considered. Can you tell us a little bit about how you balance good storytelling with good morals? How do you capture their imagination, draw them in, present them with quality literature. This could take, we could do a whole series. I know, right? <laughs> but just off the top of your head, what are the things that matter most to you as a writer when you're writing for this population of teens and young adults? Well, I think, uh, you know, when I first started writing, I remember, you know, there were always the classics that we just discussed, you know, there were always the classics out there that were fantastic. But people were always complaining that it was nothing new. There was no good Catholic fiction that people could relate to. It was all boring. It was all preachy. You know, it was just, it was just blah, you know, and there just wasn't anything out there. And I agree, you know. And so I thought, you know, we need something that teens can cling on to. And what do they cling on to? They cling on to the things that they most relate to, right? They cling on to their own struggles. So oftentimes when I'm writing a story, I try and find that, you know, I always say that, you know, I have boundaries in my stories, but I take a teen to a point to a certain point, and then I pull them back. Now, there are stories out there that will take them to that point and beyond. You know, when you're dealing with things, for example, such as getting into relationships. You know, for example, my story, For Eden's Sake. This is my most recent novel. It's a pro-life novel. And, you know, people know that, or teens know, parents know, that when teens go out there, they're not surround, you know, they're going to see the, they're going to see girls they like, guys will see girls they like, girls will see guys they like. You know, they look at their physical selves. They, um, they, they understand uh, that you know about drugs. They, you know, they need they, they need to be taken to certain points in a story that they can say, you know, yeah, this is this is what I'm doing. This is what how far, we, and then they get pulled back. You know, in the case of my pro life story, you know, I don't go into detail about a one night stand. I'm not going to describe the situation nobody needs to know that but let's be honest we all know how a baby is made right we don't need to describe this discuss that that's not important the important thing is what happens in a situation even for a good christian kid like isaac in my story who does i mean you can do everything you can to bring up your child to be the most godly child and you can show them everything and you can do it but at the end of the day they're going to go out there and they're just going to live their life and they're going to maybe meet kids who don't understand that, who aren't going to push them um, down that safe road of, you know, the, the, the Catholicism, way, Catholicism way, you know, the, their godly direction, their godly path, and may pull them off into direction. So you have to pull them off too. You have to pull your characters off 
Your characters have to experience these bad situations. They have to understand what it's like to feel pain and, and make mistakes and, and so on and so forth. Because we live in a flawed world. We live in a flawed world. We don't live in a perfect world, you know, where these soft, clean um, Christian stories will just make everything pretty and cute and wrap them all up. That's not life. Life is not fun sometimes, you know, it's a struggle, it's ugly. But these stories need to take a child or take a teen into there to a certain point and then pull them back and say, there is still life, there is still hope. God is here with you. God is your strength. Jesus is with you. He is your friend. You don't have to continue down this path. You know, take his hand. And that's the important, I think that's the thing with, with these stories and, and not just mine, but other stories and, you know, at, at Catholic teen books, you know, Teresa Linden's stories or Karina Turner's. I mean, these are just amazing stories with strong characters that kids can say, that's me. That's me. I'm dealing with that right now. I hurt just like that. You know, I'm feeling that agony. I'm feeling that desire or I'm feeling that, that need. I'm feeling this. What do I do about that? You know, so you have to be real. And our stories are real, but they're not, they're not, they're not crass. They're not, they don't take you to an unnecessary place. You know, they don't, they don't expose kids to things that they just don't need to be exposed to. They just basically say, okay, you know, um, I feel your pain. I feel you're hurt. I'm here to help you. And, and, and this, is, this is the answer. This is the way. So, you know, uh, many of these other stories, and I'm not going to name names of, you know, non, non-Catholic novels or other novels that have influenced children negatively. We all know. We've all heard them. We've, you know, we know the movies. We know the shows, you know, that have led kids down a place of darkness and, and, and lack of hope. But, you know, we don't need that. We've had enough of that. It's time to pull back. And say, yeah, it's ugly, it's horrible out there, but there is a way out. And Jesus is your way out. And this is how you do it. It's really interesting to me listening to you talk about this because all parents are aware of it. We are inundated with the news. We are inundated with constant reminders of the darkness that our children face uh, with gender identity, confusion and political polarization and just so much heartache out there that is just completely unnecessary and girding our children for that, having good conversations. Would you say in your experience that when a teen reads a book about something or where another teen is really struggling with a moral issue or a values issue, um, that conversations break out within the family? Does that help to ignite those kinds of conversations? Absolutely, and I think that that's one of the reasons why I feel that using fiction like this as part of a curriculum as a way of saying, you know, let's study this book. But in a sense, there is this inner desire to help your child, you know, deal with situations. So maybe you think that there's a situation that your teen is dealing with, that maybe you can introduce a book that touches upon this issue. The discussions can open. We're not talking about your child. We're talking about this character. Therefore, you and your, ca- and your child can speak through a character, you know. And I think that really helps because there are discussions that are hard to bring up. There are issues that you don't want to come right out and ask your child, you know, because they get defensive. Teens get defensive. They don't like to share with their parents. I have a teen, you know, we have all have kids. We all understand. They don't want to talk to their mom about it. Okay. So if you have a book, 
you have a beautiful story, you have a struggle right there that your team relates to. They can say, yeah, you know, so-and-so Gabriel or, you know, um, uh, he was dealing with this or Aaron was dealing with that. And yeah, I don't understand. And then you as a mom cannot say, well, what do you think about that? Do you think that was a good way of dealing with that? Or, or, you know, use it as part of a book report, you know, have your child discuss this topic, you know. And that is a way of pulling things out from your child and get, allowing your child to have an open discussion about a situation, about a struggle that they may relate to. You need characters, and that's what's important about these specific no novels um, of, uh, you know, good, solid fiction is that if you have a great character that your child can relate to or a great plot line that your child can relate to, they can bring it up, and maybe they can bring up a question that's inside of them, that's concerning them, but they can do it in a way that it's through the novel. So that way they can make it personal you know, because it's hard for teens to get personal. That's very clever and it's very respectful too, because rather than put our, back our kids into a corner and interrogate them, to, to break open a story together is an opportunity for them, as you said, to step back a little bit, to depersonalize it and to look at the issues. I almost can see it too being an opportunity to say, well, let's see what the church says about that and flip open, you know, a, a youth-oriented catechism or something, whatever your child is able to read at that stage are able to relate to, and then to, to go a little deeper, you know, or, or, or pull out a, you know, Father Mike Schmidt or a Chris Stefanik video or something, you know, like just kind of pepper their life with these conversation starters. Um, I'm wondering, have you heard back from any of your readers about book clubs and co-ops or uh, when you visit schools, do you have teachers um, asking for lesson plans, that sort of thing? Have you, have you encountered that yet, Ty? Well, I do, I do, I do talk at classes. I see, um, I, I visit one specific class, mostly is a sixth grade class in a local Catholic school. And they read the Destiny of Sunshine Ranch, the teacher there signs as part of the curriculum. And um, they will write, uh, you know, a book report on the book. And then they will write a list of questions. And I come in and I basically just have a conversation with them. You know, I, I want to know what they have to say. I want to know what they think, think about the book because first of all that's important to me to know that it you know that it that that it resonated with them you know so i'll always ask them you know um which character relate to you know did you relate to why and so on and so forth and you would be amazed how these young kids open up and you know they just they just they love to talk they love to read and some of them will say this is nothing i'd usually read or i don't usually like to read but i love this book and it's just amazing so you know that that school specifically does use um the book as uh, part of their curriculum and i also uh, send my books to uh, local churches and some of the other book Catholic teens um they will be sent to uh, local um churches they'll have them there so um and then sometimes I'll get, you know, calls from churches just saying, you know, can you come in and, and, and talk about, you know, just your your faith and, and how and how you uh, how that how your strength, your faith, you know, changed or if there was some kind of transition, so on and so forth. So there are different ways in in, in which my books are being used, um, not just for a personal um, life story, which is I, I would rather just, you know, use it to guide children and teens in, in, to a to a place where they can feel like they're not alone in this horrible dark world and <laughs> it really can be like that sometimes I, I do sound like I'm a little cynical about it but you know um I think that if we if we look at it in a way that 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 they need to they really need to have the armor of God around them and I think that these novels can help you know strengthen them in that way 
And you mentioned that knowing that they're not alone. How can we dovetail this idea of good books and stories, things that our kids can relate to, and forming good friendships? How do the two, where do the two meet? Well, I think that, I think that there's a real, the great correlation because um, the stories in themselves show you about friendships too. There are a lot of, you know, they, about characters and good good kids to hang out with and bad kids to hang out without being preachy. You know, like I said, you have the protagonist, you have um, the antagonist. The antagonist there is a taste of, you know, those bad friends or the or or kids that you, you not so much, oh, stay away from this. Well, sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. It really depends on a situation. You don't want to, you know, just generalize. There are some kids who need help themselves and you can be a light. It's But it's difficult to be a light in a world when you're surrounded by, kids who aren't alike because kids again are influenced teens especially are extremely influenced by the kids that they hang out with and they want to be cool they want to fit in they want to be a part of it and if you're surrounded by children who who don't have the same values as you um, it can be really difficult to stay on your path because you know you you often hear in parents will say, and this isn't to be critical, but you know, it is concerning to hear parents say, well, you know what? My children can be alike. My child can, 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 you know, help other kids, but that's a lot. That's a big burden for a child. I mean, it's bad enough being an adult trying to be a light in this world, you know? So I often like to, to try and as a homeschooling parent, it is definitely easier to control the friends that my children hang out with. And it is easy when you're homeschool because you get to decide who your children have play dates with or who your kids have co-ops with and so on and so forth and the reason why I'm extremely strict about it now is because I want them to have a taste of what it's like to be surrounded by people who are just like them who are catholic who you know say their morning offering their night their night um, prayers their their blessings during the day their angelus their their rosaries so they don't have to feel like oh we have to do this thing we're catholics we have to do the rosary you know i mean it's, it's sad because they do feel that way they feel left out they're like why do we have to do this and when you surround yourself with like families that have the same um belief system as you with children who have to go through the same thing it shows my children, that they're not alone, that there are lots of families out there who do this exact same thing. And then my children become comfortable doing these things, praying with the other friends, you know, that they're when they, you know, hang out with their other kids and they sit down for lunch, they say grace together and so on and so forth. They're not going to feel left out. So as a young child and as a teen, I think it is vital as a Catholic to have my children surrounded by Catholics with similar views. And then as they get older, they know what it's like to live a Catholic life. And then if they have other friends outside of that, they'll be stronger in understanding that people are different and those people do it that way. And there are people like us who do it this way, you know, and, and I think that's important. Absolutely right. Because then they're not, they don't grow up feeling like, as you said, like they're missing out on something. They grow up having the opportunity as very young people who really don't know who they are yet or what they fully believe yet it's all a process and their brains are still forming and everything else but there's this foundation of as you said good relationships people with whom they can identify and every family culture is a little different and people come from all over the world like you and so it's this opportunity to see a multicultural and varied experience of what it is to be a catholic and to be a part of the body of christ and so, you know, it's just really a wonderful thing when I hear a mother or a father say, you know, this is our time as a family to do this formation. 
And, and, and I love, too, that you mentioned that in the books, they get to see the good and bad friendships. They get to have a taste of the culture from a safe distance and to be able to evaluate and, and converse about it. My biggest concern as a parent has been watching how, even within the homeschool community, how at the point where kids start to drive and have jobs or when all their friends are organizing events on social media, a lot of our kids got phones by about 15, some of them much earlier, but on the whole around 15, I would say, 15, 16. And, um, and that was a big game changer. What's your view on phones and kids? Well, um, if you know me, you know my, I'm pretty strict about phones. Well, none of my children have phones. My oldest is 15 and he does not have a phone and he's not going to get one anytime soon. He, you know, if uh, he started working, I think I would probably get him um, a phone that you can just, you know, just like a te- make, make phone calls and possibly text and that's it. Sadly, I think that what the, the phone has become such a destru- destructive tool in our society that um, it's taken away a child's ability to be really social with each other, you know. And I'm not only that because you know you see kids on their phones all the time. It's ridiculous. You see, right? You see adults on their phones all the time. I have an iPhone, but I use it for my work, and I hardly have it around. And half the time, I can't even find it. <laughs> and my husband's always like, "Oh, you didn't answer the phone." I'm like, "I don't know even know where it was. I can't, you know." So, um, so uh, I think that we have become so connected with this tool and our faces are constantly down that we're not looking around in the world that the Lord gave us. We're not experiencing true life. We're seeing everything through this lens. I mean, when you go to, you know, you'll go to these events and everyone's just got their phones up the whole time. It's like you look at it with your eyes, experience it, enjoy it like that, like we used to in the old days. We all have a brain to remember. You don't have to have everything down on your phone and put on Facebook so everybody knows exactly what you're doing at exactly every second of your life. Seriously. Well, I mean, when you become so connected to something like that, that is who you become. And then when it's gone, what is left? You don't even know who you are anymore. You just create this person on Facebook and social media that half the time isn't who you really are, you know, because you're not going to take the pictures. I'm not going to tell you what my house really looks like. But now we all are, but they create this perfection on phones and social media with their faces and their bodies and their look at me and people have just become so narcissistic. So anyway, I could go on and on and on about this. My children don't need phones. They have friends when they want to see their friends, their friends come over and they hang out. And um, I want my kids to know how to talk to each other and have fun with each other and play games with each other and run around outside and hang out at the farm, hang out with the goats and the chickens. And I want them to just be kids. And then when they're old enough to have a phone, and if they decide to have an iPhone when they're older, fine. That's their thing. That's their business. But until then, they don't need that. They need to learn how to be social and fun and and have a good... Because I'm telling you, I've had kids come to my house who have phones, and they're not allowed phones in my house because it's kind of known, don't, you know, Pi doesn't allow phones or devices in our house. (laughs) Mm -hmm, (laughs) And they don't know what to do. They'll sit there. They'll just sit. You know, it's almost like it's almost like that. All this action and all this, um, you know, whether it's whether it's to do with the games on their phones or, or video games that they play or or uh, social media, all this stuff going on, it's way more exciting on the phone. You know, it's way more. It's, everything is just so much more exciting, right? Yeah, I feel like 
we've been turned into computers in a way and the phone is like our external hard drive and and so if we're not connected directly to that somehow the, the brain is not complete it's we it does all our thinking for us now okay so we've tied together really good books and ideas and conversations with good friendships and choosing as a parent to make very clear and specific and intentional decisions about all of that. What final thought would you like to leave our listeners with, Ty? What gives you hope as a mom? Well, you know, I think that I think that it's really important for us as parents to really take hold of our families and our children and our teens. And I really think that as a as a as a parent and as an author, I really feel that the um and you know it's not always a it's not always a um a sunny day being an author but <laughs> you know i think that i continue to do what i do through through times of doubt i do it because i really feel that i can talk to teens through it and i can talk to my own teens through it and i really feel that parents should take advantage of this tool in a way to get to know their children better put the phone down pick up a really good book there are tons of them on catholicteenbooks.com every genre you can think of saints books historical books contemporary books dystopian stories fantasies pick up a book have read it with your child open up some discussions and get to know your child find out what their, their, their pains are their struggles and, and and open them up so that they can one day come to you and say mom i have something i need to talk to you about because that's the ultimate thing in order for us to help our children and guide them the right way and teach them about the lord and, and and his strength and his love we need to be able to talk to our children and this is a fantastic tool in order to do that Beautiful. And for those parents listening who are thinking, gosh, I gave my kid a phone too soon and now it's a little too late or whatever, um, just want to refer, refer you to our refresh conference webinars that we just had about a week ago. Um, and we had Patrick Cavanaugh, the CEO of SaferNet.com, where you can administrate all of the devices, including when they go out and are on cellular data or in other people's Wi-Fi areas, you can actually administrate each device individually based on the child's age and maturity. And it's a pretty great thing. I'll throw that into our show notes for this. But please do check out Ty's website, tmgowett.com. That's on our show notes, as well as catholicteenbooks.com. Just a fantastic resource. Ty, you're so passionate and so thoughtful about all this. We just got to have you on again for the coming season. Uh, so let's talk about that. And thank you so much again for covering up my big fumble here by coming back and having this conversation again. I had a great time with you as always. I love talking to you, Lisa. I know I waffle on and on, but we do have really great conversations. So I would love to be on again with you. Oh, I'd love it too. All right, everybody, hold on for our short feature coming right up. Hi, this is Dan Lozonis from EinsteinBlueprint.com. Today, I want to share with you some critical thoughts on that four-lettered word, debt, and why it's imperative that you incorporate this aspect of financial literacy into your kid's education. There are several problems with debt. First of all, God has few kind things to say about borrowing in the Bible. Certainly, many argue what his stance is, especially whether or not it's a sin to borrow, whether or not charging or paying interest is a sin, but what's inarguable is that borrowing money makes one a slave to the lender. 
See Proverbs 22, 7. Which brings me to problem number two. Debt can and will severely limit all of your kids' life options. If they get sucked in, they will have to toil away at multiple jobs just to keep up. Their social lives will suffer. Their bodies and health won't receive the care needed. And they may struggle in their spiritual lives, struggle finding time to go to Mass, do ministry work, and to spend with God. Thirdly, down the road, a mountain of debt may cause them to delay marriage. It may cause them to put off having kids. Those would be your grandkids. We all know many great families who don't offer their kids a superior education that only homeschooling can provide because mom and dad have trapped themselves in huge mortgages that seemingly requires them both to work. Furthermore, money is one, if not the top thing, that married couples argue over and is tragically one of the top causes of divorce. I know this sounds simple and obvious, right? But debt is not an easy trap to avoid. In today's world, debt is socially acceptable. Seemingly, everyone borrows money to go to college, to buy a car or boat, and to buy a home. So if you tell your kids to avoid debt, they will still have a thousand other voices telling them debt is harmless. Here's where to start. First, have more than just a conversation. Do a deep dive with them on the history of debt and the world's present state of indebtedness. Be honest with them about your debt journey. Maybe plug into Dave Ramsey or another voice of reason on this matter. My parents never taught me anything about debt. When I started college at the University of Pennsylvania in 1992, I had no idea that I was going to owe money, never mind exactly how much. Second, emphasize, if not demand, that they start to save money religiously. A penny saved is indeed a penny earned. And earned money is always appreciated and valued more than borrowed money. Right now, we are in the midst of an economic and financial meltdown due to the coronavirus. One of the good things that may come of it is people may be reminded how important it is to have money saved and in the bank. If they don't have this safety net, well, they're probably going to be saddled with even more debt soon. Third, get your kids working, earning money, and learning all about finance right now. Some of these sound monetary lessons just like with math and phonics, will take a few reps to fully sink in. Most of the homeschool kids I know today who are completely skipping the debt-laden path of college, they got an early start working and earning money for themselves. In summary, remember that debt is a very big threat to your kid's future. The whole devilish world is conspiring to ensnare your kids in financial slavery. It's supremely important that you not only initiate this discussion with your kids, but you also formally inject finance into their homeschool curriculum. Get them out working, earning money as soon as possible, and require them to begin a formal savings plan. To learn more about how to protect your kids from the seduction of debt, get them playing financial offense in their lives, visit my 15-year-old homeschool son's website, kidsgetrich.com. That's our show for today. Our program is sponsored by homeschoolconnections.com, where you can get online courses for your grade school, middle school, and high school student. Learn from the experts and make your homeschooling easier. Be sure to leave a review and share this podcast with your friends. And we'll see you next time here on the Homeschooling Saints podcast.